Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, the best thing that I found about this podcast is the opportunity that I get to speak to people who I may have come across their work a number of years ago. That's exactly what's happened with this conversation that you're about to hear now. Paul McGee, also known as the Sumo Guy, 15 years ago, when I started in change and in leadership, um, I read his book. And I have to say, it's, and it's one, of the, one of the few books from that period of time that I remember reading. But then to get the opportunity to speak to him, to pick his brains and to understand how he stayed so relevant 15 years, years on has been a great privilege. So I hope you get, um, we, have, we have a bit of a laugh and we, there are definitely some key valid learning points for I think us all, no matter what we are doing today, for us all to, uh, to share and learn from. So enjoy. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I have the great pleasure of chatting with international speaker, best-selling author, and the sumo guy. Hello there, Paul McGee. How are you? I am I am great. It's, it's fair to say I haven't been great. I have been ill with a virus that kind of like wiped me out for two weeks. But I think what's really important for people to know in the in the kind of context of maybe what this, this podcast is, you know, majority of people who get ill will get well. And um, I, I was hit hard by the virus, but um, I'm now 100% fighting fit. So I was always feeling pleased about life and, and never taking it for granted. But I think the dial has been turned up even more as a result of the illness. But I'm good. Yeah. No, good, good, good. And you, you're looking really well as well. So no, it's uh, well, you know really what? good. Just, just before lockdown, I did get a week away in Lanzarote, and then it all changed. So, uh, and we've even had a little bit of sunshine in Warrington. So, despite having been ill, there's a little bit of a glow here. This is not a fake tan, just so yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> but I'm using, I'm using sun cream, I promise you. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic, good stuff. So, for, for those people that don't know who the sumo guy is, who is he? How, how have you got to sit in that seat today? Okay. Um, well, I could say walk from the kitchen and, and here I am. But I mean, my background is in HR and behavioural and social psychology. I work with a big multinational. Big turning point for my life was actually in the early 90s when I lost my job through ill health. Became ill with an illness called ME or chronic fatigue syndrome or yuppie flu. And I was ill for over three years. The only challenge I had was because I'd improve and then I'd relapse. Um, I never knew it was over the illness or not. So even when I got to a point where I felt, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm operating like 25%, I could do some kind of work. It was very difficult to pick up any work because no one would hire me because I couldn't pass the medicals. So it was actually 1991, hired myself, went self-employed, went down the route of trying to do training and coaching and counselling. And in my first year of business, I turned over the staggering amount of £2,300. Um, I paid no tax, no national insurance, and my accountant sacked me. 
But um, that was the first year of business. I'm glad to say things have picked up rather a lot since then. And it was in 2005 that I, I had a book that was released called Sumo. And Sumo, kind of like Start Up This Life, simply is an acronym, Shut Up, Move On. Um, it's evolved, so it still means that. But we now do a lot of work in schools and they were a little bit uncomfortable about the about you know shut up move on so it's also an acronym that can stand for stop understand move on and the book became a sunday times bestseller opened a lot of different doors and really what what the book's about what my philosophy is about is putting over ideas and in, in insights hopefully some inspiration and giving people practical tools to get the best out of themselves get the best out of others and get the best out of life so that's been my whole focus. I try and do it in a, a very authentic way, but also hopefully a humorous way and just get rid of the corporate speak and just, you know, talk to people where they're at. So everything I talk about is hopefully accessible for people. So that's kind of me in a nutshell, a bit about my backstory. Yeah, perfect, perfect. I was saying to you just before I hit the record that um, so I've been in change now for fifteen years, and um, and one of the very first uh, business books uh, that I read was was yours. And then when I saw you on LinkedIn, I got well excited. I thought oh, this is I need to I need to connect with him again and see what he's up to. Yeah. So yeah, so it was one of the very first um, business books I read. But where were you um, when when you dreamt the idea of sumo? What, what can you talk? How did that happen? Sure. And I guess the thing was, it wasn't really a dream. It's been, I would say, my life's been about evolution, not revolution. So what I can tell you is I was running a coaching and, coaching and counselling skills course in Glasgow, Scotland. And um, I was, someone just said from, the, from this small group I was working with, I can't even tell you for sure whether there's a man or a woman, because I never realised what their sentence was that they say to me would have such a profound impact on me. So I talk about coaching and counselling skills, and then this person says, well, if all else fails, you can always tell them to sumo. So everyone looks at this person like, what does that mean? And they just went, shut up, move on. And it was just like, oh, that's quite a nice little fun acronym, didn't think anything more of it. But then increasingly, when I was running other courses and doing in other sessions, I started to use the phrase a bit more. They started to take on a life of its own. And a phrase I, or a concept to talk about, is about how if we're not careful at times, we beat ourselves up a lot and we need to learn how to shut up our inner critic. And so I started to use this phrase, shut up your inner critic and move on and listen more to your inner coach. So we're talking here about a seed of an idea. But then I guess I'd water it expose it in a sense of some sunlight or to the opinions of other people. And then it just started to evolve. And what I had was a number of concepts and ideas that I talk about. But Stuma became the kind of the umbrella to, um, you know, to, to frame it and to package it. So it was very much a not I woke up one day thinking I've got this idea called Sumo. It was actually since the early 90s I got some ideas and, and insights that were useful, but they were quite disparate. It was all about, I suppose, packaging it and framing it in a certain way. And as I say, Sumo became the umbrella term. And I now talk about my Sumo principles. Oh, perfect, perfect. So when you talk about the inner critic and like, yeah. so shut up the inner critic, and um, and then uh, how did you how did you then and bring in the the inner coach? 
how did you transition from inner critic to inner coach? And I guess why I want to understand that is because I'm a big believer in mindset and your thoughts drive your behaviours in the external world and, and stuff. And, and and so when you've said that, that's really resonated with me. So did you have a, a background on mindset beforehand or, or how how did how did you get to the shut up and up the inner critic? Sure. Does that make sense? Um, my, background is, my background is in behavioural and social psychology way. So people fascinate me. Um, technology doesn't. Um, normally, if I'm not communicating via Zoom, I'd be, I'd be sending messages via carrier pigeon. So when it comes to te technology and a few other things, it's fair to say, not Paul McGee's bag. But people fascinate me. So that's my background anyway. Then when I became ill, someone actually um, lent me what, in those days, people just to age me, was a, 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 um, some cassette tapes. Uh, and they were on personal development. And I suppose that became both with my um, background in psychology anyway, and suddenly this exposure and introduction to personal development. It became the catalyst to explore more about your mindset. So a phrase I often use is, you know, besides God, if you believe in God, who is perhaps the most important person you're going to talk to? And it's actually yourself. But sometimes those stories, those narratives, those conversations we have with ourselves aren't helpful, aren't constructive, i.e. you listen to your inner critic. Um, but what I did was not say to people, well, just be more positive. Um, you won't be able to see it very clearly, but behind me on my wall, uh, someone gave me a gift of, um, I have a postcard with seven questions on to help you sumo, and they've made this into this kind of um, display which is behind me. And one of the things I want to get people to talk about is not to say I want you to stop being an inner critic or stop beating myself up. You know, the mind doesn't like a vacuum. You've got to replace it with something. So I talk about having kinder, more constructive conversations with yourself. And so if I find I am beating myself up, giving myself a tough time, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, be aware that you're doing it. Stop and understand that's what's happening. But then move on and think, well, how is this helping me? Because sometimes it, it knocks me of my confidence. I'm, I'm on a downer for 24 hours. This is not great. So, you know, some of my questions could be, well, the first one is, you know, well, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10's death, where is this issue? And you realize sometimes you beat yourself up about trivial things or how important will it be in six months' time about the importance of getting perspective. Two other questions that are very much what I call my inner coach questions, though, are, okay, Maybe you did screw up. Maybe that didn't go so well. Maybe the Zoom call didn't go so well. The meeting with that client, um, that new change project hasn't been implemented as effectively as you'd have liked. Okay, what can you learn from this? And I think even more importantly, what are you going to do differently next time? I think it's very easy to dwell on our failure, to look to who's to blame for the failure, to go in and down on ourselves and it's just like, you know what, we need to shut up that conversation because it's not helping us. Um, but we do need to move on constructively and positively, learn the lesson um, and, and focus on what you'll do differently next time and, and, and tune in in lots of, not just in work, but in life generally. And think, okay, I need to have a conversation with me and a coach here, not me and a critic. Yeah, I love that. Love that. So you, you've mentioned your, your principles. Can you just um, just yeah. give us some of the give us some of the key ones, or maybe all all seven of them? What, yeah. what do you think? What? Yeah, yeah. So, very briefly. So 
little uh, formula E plus R equals O. It's the event plus my response that influences the outcome. And I think some people think, you know, it's like the, the coronavirus, that's an event, or I'm going through a major change at work, that's the event. You know what the outcome's going to be? You don't know what the outcome's going to be because the outcome isn't purely about an event. It, it's based also on how you respond as an individually, as a team, as a business, as a family. So it's just understanding in life, hang on a minute, Two people can have the same event, but can end up with a different outcome. How come they have the same event? Yeah, but because they chose to respond differently. So that's one of my sumo principles. Another one um, is I call develop some fruity thinking, which links in with those seven questions, a couple of which I've mentioned to you already. And, and in that principle, I look at the fact we get into faulty thinking, like you're in a critic or you become a bit of a martyr, wear the victim T-shirt. And I explore how to develop fruity thinking. Another one of my principles is called um, hippo time is okay. And what I mean by hippo time is, you know, what a hippos do in mud, they wallow. And if you think about all that we've been going through, you know, globally, um, some people, because of this coronavirus, that they'll never get ill from, many of them. And even if they did, it'd be mild. But the consequences have been... I didn't get to my son or daughter's graduation. We had to cancel the holiday. We've postponed the wedding. And part of what I want to say in hippo time is, you know what, it is okay to not always feel okay, to feel mad, bad, or sad is okay. And so maybe you need a bit of a wallow. You need a bit of hippo time. But the crucial point around hippo time is not just that it's okay, but it's temporary. And what I say to people is it's part of the journey. It's not meant to be your destination. And I think people need to appreciate that own your feelings. I'm getting people contact me going, I'm feeling down, I'm struggling. And I'm like, well, don't let's pretend you're fine. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Acknowledge those feelings. They are real and they are valid. You are experiencing hippo time. You need to process it. But you don't need to spend too long wallowing in the mud. You need some hippo time, but it's okay, but it's definitely temporary. And, and two or three others just to sort of finish off with. I also talk about, um, remember the beach ball, easy to explain if I had it with me as a prop, but imagine I'm holding up a beach ball and, and the three colors you see are red, yellow, and orange. I'm looking at the same beach ball, but from my perspective, three different colors, blue, white, and green. And what I say to people is that's a principle about communication, about relationships, and how sometimes if we're to engage with people a bit more and be more effective, then let's just shut up thinking our perspective, you know, my blue, white, and green is the whole story, but try and explore things from some other people's perspective. So as an organization, if you're going through change, you know, let's try and understand our team's side of the beach ball. Let's make sure they understand our side of the beach ball, why this change is happening and what hopefully the benefits will be. And just in general personal life, you know, it's very easy to be, you know, it's blue, white and green. That's what I see. Yeah, but if you want to get the best out of a relationship with a, a family member, they're not always seeing the world the way you are. And rather than give sometimes people a good talking to, I think we need to give people a good listening to. But the final two principles that I talk about are learn Latin, which is this little catch for Latin phrase. Most of us will know carpe diem, seize the day. Life doesn't reward people with great ideas, you know. It rewards people who actually take action. And the final principle, um, I call it rather maybe controversially ditch dog.
Doris Day. What I mean by Ditch Doris Day is she was famous for a song she sang in the 1950s called Kate, I won't sing it, don't worry. Um, uh -huh. K Sarah Sarah, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. K Sarah Sarah. Now, the reality is there are lots of things we are uncertain about in terms of our future. But if our whole attitude to life is, oh, well, whatever will be, will be. K Sarah Sarah. That is not a very empowering way to envision yourself, your team, or your organization, or even your family. So that's a bit of an overview, quick overview of some of those principles. Yeah, I love them. I love them. Uh, what's fruit? What is fruity thinking? So you spoke about fruity thinking a couple of times. And what is what is fruity thinking? So, so fruity thinking. <clears throat> if you were to um, just think of this little acronym T A T E A R. And the T stands for our thinking. And if I get to think about something happy or sad, it can affect the E, your emotions, or how you feel. How you think and feel can influence the A, your actions, your behavior. And then whatever those actions are, um, you know, you made a decision. You were thinking it'd be good to start a podcast. So you start to hopefully feel quite motivated about it. You've taken some action and the R is and you've got a result. But what if you're, you've been in faulty thinking and it's like, oh, I'm thinking of doing a podcast. Yeah, but who's going to listen to it? How will I find guests? Uh, I've got to think about all the technology. Will it even work? There's loads of people doing podcasts now. Those, that's what I would call as like that faulty thinking. How does it affect you? Your feelings of not feeling motivated. What's your action? Nah, don't think I'll do it. What's your result? There ain't no podcast. So with fruity thinking, I'm very much focusing on let's get this mindset sorted. And we do games of thinking, but using steps and what I would call managing your mental diet, become more fruity in your thinking. Because we talk about, you know, I've had breakfast this morning and um, I've had some banana and blueberries and strawberries because fruit, hopefully, a certain level of fruit is good for you, getting vitamins for the body. What I wanted to talk about is wanting to become more fruity or fruitful in the way we think as well. Yeah, love that, love that. Do you find that people, so you've, um, so Sumo released 15 years ago, do you find people yeah. relate to the concepts that you're talking about more now or... Or, or more than, and the, and the reason why I ask the question is I've got this I've got this belief that that consultants and change people ten to fifteen years ago were all process driven, and it was about delivering a particular result, and then and th then like customer experience became a thing, and then employee engagement became a thing, and then now it's all about behaviours and and the impact of your thinking on on the on the on the on the behaviours. So, do you find that people resonate more with your material now than they did when you first um, developed the concept or, or not? No, I think I think people are more open-minded. I mean, what's very interesting is when the book came out in 2005, we, we talked about stress. Stress was definitely a word that was common to a lot of people in organisations. Um, do you know what we didn't talk about? We didn't talk about well-being. We didn't talk about mental and emotional health. We didn't talk about resilience. We didn't talk about mindfulness. And what's been fascinating for me is, although the book was written in 05, people, it, it, and I'm not changed, I'm not, I'm going to go back to stream and go, that principle's no longer relevant. What I'm realizing is, yes, it does have even greater relevance now, and people become more receptive because all of a sudden it's like, oh, this makes sense. 
Yeah, this mindset thing is really important. And of course, how I communicate my message. Now I will weave in. So how do you develop your resilience? How do you bounce back from a setback? Guess what? You might need a bit of hippo time to begin with. But then here's some questions to help you get out of hippo time and move on. So, I mean, the book has sold, I don't know, well over 150,000 copies. And it was popular in 05 when it came out, to be fair. But most books, and, and we're talking probably 99% of books, if it came out in 05, you'd struggle to find them now. Now, I'm not on the kind of in the league of, um, you know, who moved my cheese or Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But it is unusual for a book to be 15 years later, still selling well, uh, still upon the ranks on Amazon. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes in airports and railway stations, you still see a copy of that book. So it's longevity has obviously indicated to me how relevant the messages are. And to be honest, I hope in another 15 years, they'll still be as relevant. I might need to sort of frame the message in a slightly different way because I want to speak into situations. But the principles are generic principles for a lifetime. And in fact, the really exciting thing is later this year, I've got a, a, a basically a version of that book that's coming out aimed at teenagers. So I want to equip them with life skills to last a lifetime. Oh, amazing, amazing. So two, two questions then. So how have, you, how have you kept the material so relevant over such a long period of time? Is it the, is it the lessons that, that are in there? So I guess, I guess how, have you, how have you been able to make sure that, that 150,000 books have been sold and that people are still getting the lessons that are so valid? So how, what is, what's the secret of your success, I guess is what I'm saying, for the 15 years? And then at what point, okay. so the second question, oh, in fact, let me make a note of the second question while you answer that one, that first one. Okay. The first, the, re the reason why it's so relevant, I've got a couple of reasons. Basically, you know, hopefully I'm scratching where people are itching. So as the pace of life, the funny thing is that in 2005, Facebook just getting started in, in the States in, amongst college students. No Twitter, no Instagram, WhatsApp, Snapchat, no iPhones. So the pace of life has changed dramatically. And the ideas that I talked about in 05, they are relevant because more and more people are thinking, actually, it's not just about having got a great body. What is my being like? I'm feeling burnt out. The pace of life has, has just gone phenomenal in terms of, you know, it's gone crazy. And part of my message is press pause. So it's relevant because, and it continues to be successful in, in the number of its sales, is because it's not just, oh, I've got a great message. No, I've got a message that is relevant for your life, not just in your work, but also in your personal life. And I'm scratching where people are itching. The other reason why it's maintained its relevance is because I didn't say, here's the principles and, and here they are. It's, I'm, think, I'm exploring the challenges that people have in life that are happening now. So I want to keep updated and relevant. And I'm not digging my head in the sand and just going, here's the ideas. It's like, no, here's the ideas, but let's contextualize how they can help you. So for instance, the whole coronavirus and maybe your business Thinking about E plus R equals O, 
is you certainly think about okay, so what was the event? Well, the event was the coronavirus and the shutdown. Okay, so what could have been the outcomes depending on how you responded? And you explore those and go, okay, so ultimately though, it's your response, again, individually, as a team, as a family, as a country, that will influence your outcomes. So what I always want to do, I don't want to deliver a script. I want to talk from my own life experience, share my stories, but also contextualize it in, in, in terms of today and now and where people are at, rather than some abstract ideas from some theories that, that may or may not be relevant. Yeah, yeah, love it, love it. And um, I guess what's, what's in fact then, before I ask the question that I made a note of, I've got another question before the question. Um, how, how, have you, how have you kept so motivated and driven to, to stay so relevant, up-to-date, and, and continue your own learning and development? I think it's a great, that's a great question. I think, and it is one that other people have asked me and I sometimes ask myself. I think the reality is, Lee, I came to all of this material not from a place of uh, superiority and I have a background in psychology. I came to it from a position of need of my own struggles with my own mental and emotional health my own issues around stress, my own issues around conflict, my own issues around procrastinating, not taking action. And I suppose what I realized, I never set out to go, I'm going to read some self-help books so that one day I'll write one myself. I started to consume things because I'm thinking, I have a need here. I've got some challenges here. I did not have the easiest of upbringings as a kid. And I I'm, I'm, I'm feel fragile in certain areas. I've got to try and start a business from ground zero. I need help. I became a sponge. But then what I found was, oh, this is helping me. Oh, I'm, I'm dealing with stress more effectively than I did before. Oh, that inner critic that we talked about earlier that I really struggled with. I'm learning to manage that more effectively. And so I became really encouraged, if I'm honest, with how this stuff was helping me and how it continues to help me. And therefore, yes, I am eager to share with others. So I think I talk from, you know, I'm now, I've been made um, six months ago a visiting professor at the University of, of Chester. Um, you know, I've got the degree, I've got the diploma in performance coaching and counselling. But I think what really makes the difference, because I don't know if that really is that impressive to an audience, what really makes the difference is I speak with an authority, not based on academic experience, but from life experience. I'm basically saying, this is what I've gone through. You've got a challenge with your 15-year-old daughter. I had one of those. You sort of feel your confidence is on the floor. I know exactly what you mean. And um, you feel there's no way through at the moment. I've been there. And I think, I think it's the struggles can strengthen you. And, and because I know this stuff helps, and because also over the years, people email me, they contact me and tell me how the ideas have helped them. That keeps on enthusing me and encouraging me, and and it, yeah, it fuels my passion. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it, it comes across. So when when you're talking, then as well, that is you're so passionate about what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Which which is ama which is amazing to hear and, and to and to see that passion coming across as well. Um, you you mentioned then about a struggle with a 15 year old. Is is that is that so my question that I wrote down is how did you, why, why did you decide to write a book about um, teenagers or to help teenagers? What, what, was, yeah. what was that? I think because these, ultimately I knew these 
ideas are relevant for life. And, and I, I suppose I got into my personal development journey in my mid-20s. But by that stage, you know, having had a quarter of a century on the planet, boy, and I, I might have learned how to, the book, the 1066 was when the Battle of Hastings happened. But did I know how to deal with my own inner conflict or conflict with others? So there was always this sense, even when I wrote the sumo book, that I'd like to develop, you know, maybe sumo for schools, because I just thought, don't wait till your mid-20s or your mid-30s or your mid-40s. We need access. You know, schools can prepare you for exams, but are they preparing you for life? And so even when I wrote the book and it came out in 05, I put something at the back that went, I've got a vision to develop sumo for schools. If you'd like to support me in that, you know, let's meet up, let's have a conversation. And there were a lot of stop starts in terms of ha that happening. But we did launch sumo for schools. And then we've now set up a year ago uh, with a colleague of mine and the Sumo for Schools Foundation. So that's a not-for-profit where schools can access resources they can use to help kids. But then my publisher said to me, it's great you're doing all of this stuff, but how about writing a book for kids? Because this is becoming a growing market. And I was a little bit, you know, the, the Sumo for Schools stuff had been developed by teachers, not by me. So they were Sumo fans, but they had more of the experience with young people. But then I kind of like challenged myself and thought, you know, let's have a go at trying to communicate these ideas in a way that teenagers are going to engage with. And what became crucial is also I knew that for this book to be readable, because again, the voice is no one's going to read it. What if you make that book so visually appealing and there's lots of, you know, illustrations and there's humor and there's kind of like that it just as soon as the kids open it, it's like, wow, this is it's not reading a comic, but it's so visually appealing as well. And it's and so the whole presentation of the book is going to be crucial. But I really it is my hope that both carers, parents and kids will read the book. Maybe they'll read it together. Maybe the younger kids will read it together. Maybe they'll just read a chapter. Maybe they'll just read two or three pages. But there'll be something that they read that's going to really help them. I mean, think about, remember, the beach ball. I very strongly focus on the fact in that chapter, which for the teenage book I call, don't forget, you know, the chapter's called, but it's actually what I call it a sumo secret. So it's don't forget your beach ball. And I talk about beach ball and then I go, you know, parents are not very good at seeing their kids side of the beach ball. And so, and also, and children and young people don't always find it easy to communicate with their parents. So I set up some little exercises that maybe you're never going to sit down with your parents or your carers or an adult in your life, but maybe you're going to send them a text, you're going to write them a letter or send them an email. And I give them little trigger phrases to start off that kind of conversation and basically say, hey, you got me the, you got me the sumo book or I've come across the book and therefore I want you to share something that I think could be helpful for me. And, and it's, a, it's to facilitate conversations and I, i'm realistic I, I i appreciate not every kid is going to be given the book or read it i'm not going to say it's going to instantly transform children's lives but you know it will impact a lot of people and it will impact a lot of young people and some of them will never read the whole book but they might just read as i say a couple of pages and that seed will be planted in their mind so that's kind of where i'm coming from yeah, I love that. I love that. Why teenagers and why not younger? 
In many ways, it's that, again, great question. I think I got to the point of thinking about my own abilities as a writer, and I thought, can I write and engage teenagers? Although teenagers, you know, the tech, everyone thinks, well, teenagers starts at 13. You could argue that, you know, from the age of 10 onwards, you are developing into a teenager as you go through puberty and adolescence. So I had to be realistic and think, you know, could I write a book for a five or six-year-old? At the moment, I have to say that's not a competency that I've got or a skill that I've got. And I don't, you know, relate to four or five-year-olds particularly. But could I write a book for an 11 or 12-year-old? Possibly. Could I get inside? And so what I've done with the book is it's going to be submitted this month. But actually, um, probably there's teachers, parents. I've had a dozen young people from all different kinds of backgrounds, aged from 10 through to 18, read the book and give me their feedback. So I wanted to learn from them. And so, hey, it's a start. Well, could we be having a conversation in two or three years going, wow, you wrote a book for children aged five to eight? Possibly, although I think the reality is if I did that, it would be very much alongside someone else who writes for that kind of age group in the first place. Yeah, I've got an idea for it. So I've got a four-year-old and I've got a seven-year-old. I'm more than happy to lend them to oh. you for um, for a few months. <laughs> That's, yeah, can I get a banshee on that one, Lee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. The offer's not going away. Yeah, you come back to me on that one by all means. Uh, just as, as soon as you agree, then uh, then the yours. Um, as, as you know, Paul, that this uh, this podcast is called Business Problem Solved. What do you think the number one business problem is that that needs solving? Obviously, apart apart from coronavirus and, and um, COVID nineteen, uh, what is? Yeah, that? I think, and it's it's always been the case and it will continue to be the case i think for me and i'm always going to look at things less from a process and systems point of view because that's not my bag and always from a people point of view and i think there's research to suggest this but there's also anecdotal evidence that in the main in the main not in every case but in the main people don't if they quit the organization if they move on to another job it's not so much that they leave the organization, they leave their manager. And I think we, we promote people to a level of management and we give them that title. And then there's an assumption they should be really good at managing people. And the art of managing people is such an important skill that continues to evolve and develop. And so for me, we talk about employee engagement and creating culture and an environment where people can thrive and flourish. Brilliant, great goals. But don't just send a manager on a one-day course and go, that's it, you've had your training. You know, the soft stuff is really the hard stuff. The, the soft skills we talk about is actually the really hard stuff. I mean, that conversation with an employee, maybe it's a challenging conversation, realising that what motivates you might not motivate me. Um, we need, as managers, as leaders, all the skills and all the support we can get to know how to get the best out of others. And I think, um, I still don't think there's enough um, attention given to the fact that, you know, managers and leaders need tools, not just a title, in order to get the best out of other people. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. What? So if you had to pick one skill that's lacking or one um, soft skill that, um, that, that you see um, that is not necessarily there, what, what's the, the number one um, 
soft skill that's missing or that's required to be a, an effective leader? I I think and I, I think I have to say to you there isn't just one. I think it's yeah. um, I think um, it's it, it's a whole toolkit. What I would say though is when I go back to remembering the beach ball, I think if we can just get managers and leaders to do two things in particular. First of all, understand their their employees, understand other people's side of the beach ball. Doesn't mean you're going to agree with it understand where people are coming from and and therefore sometimes to do that you've got to be a good listener but it's not just about being a good listener it's about being a good at asking questions and really wanting to understand your world your issues your challenges your dreams your goals because the clearer i am on your side of the beach ball the more i'll be able to engage you and lead you but in relation to that i also need to know how to ask good questions and listen to your answers and that is hard to do. So that's part of the skill set. Secondly, though, is I think leaders need to communicate clearly their side of the beach ball and give people a vision. Because I think one of the things that people lack in life at times is a clarity about, um, you know, well, what exactly am I doing and why is it important? I mean, people who are working in certain roles in the NHS right now, they're not having to be motivated because they are very clear that they're mad, but they make a difference. They're very clear on what is expected of them and, and, and how that can make a difference. But we, all, we don't all work in the NHS. We're not all on the front line. And I think sometimes we can work for leaders and managers and the manager and leader knows their side of the beach ball, but they don't turn it round so that other people can buy into that vision and have that clarity as well. So I suppose... If I could give every manager or leader a little prop that they could uh, always carry with them mentally or even just have something on the desk, it probably would be a beach ball. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You have, um, you have an art of distilling the complex into a relatable concept. Is that something that you've... you've so your, your beach ball um, and that you're you mad, you said make a difference. And so, so um, the way that you come across and the way that you articulate points are really concept points, but they come across in a really relatable way. Is that something that you've you've, you've learned about? Is that something you've always been able to do? How, how have you developed that skill? Because I think that's really important. I, I think, first of all, you're right, it really is important. Uh, did I have a bit of a skill or a knack for it? Possibly, but actually... Um, Again, I'm always wanting to develop myself, and I began to realize that, again, it's not just the message. It's how that message is framed and packaged. And actually, I'm not here to, to um, impress people with my intellectual knowledge. I need to communicate and pass on some stuff that I hope will help people. And in order to do that, I think, how can I make this sticky and memorable? How can I make it easy and accessible? Because if, if you remember it, if it's sticky and memorable, and if it's also, it's like, well, that's not too big a leap. It's not like I've got to dramatically change my life overnight or do 101 things differently. But, you know, dream big, but start small. So actually, um, it is something I'm aware of. It's something I continue to want to sort of, um, you know, hone and develop. So I give the analogy of, why, you know, why is well-being and self-care important? And although it's a bit of a cliche to some people, I always go, you know, when you're on a plane and the safety announcements will go and there's a drop in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will come down. And then it says this, put your own on first, 
before helping others. And I'm saying to people, you know, we are constantly putting on other people's oxygen masks. We have to continue to do that. But actually, we've got to do it from a place of I've got something to give rather than I feel like I've got nothing more to give. And so, yeah, I look for life analogies that people go, I get that. I understand it. I can relate to it. And I think, again, as a communicator, all of us need to realize knowing the words to a song does not make you a great singer. And in other words, having knowledge doesn't mean you're going to be great at communicating that knowledge. You've also got to understand, I have this knowledge, but now I need the skill to know how to communicate that knowledge in a really effective way to others. Yeah, and when you were talking about your teenager book, the one thing that, that struck me is you've you've found the way to talk about your concepts in a way that's pretending to be one of so you're talking to them. Um and yeah. and, and and how you articulate and everything is it so how how do you get clarity about the person that you're trying to talk to? Does that does that make sense as a question? Yeah, it, it does. Uh, two things. One, when I was writing the book, and I saw, I was actually, I had a couple of young people in mind, and yeah. I, I, I would think about them. Um, and I, I'd almost get into what was interesting about writing the teenagers' book is, and I, I basically, I write the book with pen and paper. I get my PA um, to, to type it up. So for me, I would be, and in fact, I wrote the book for, in exactly the, from the same desk that we're having this interview. And I would mentally get myself more into a different mindset than when I'm writing books for adults. I've written 11 books for adults. Um, but I suddenly was thinking, okay, I've got to get into my slightly teenage mind here, my slightly quirky mind. However, the reality is no matter how well I did that, um, I'm not a teenager. I don't understand all their language. What I think is a really nice, great phrase to use, they might not appreciate. So what I've done, as I say, with this, maybe up to a dozen young people, is to say, okay, here's, here it is. Here's the rough draft. You know, can you read through some of this? Can you tell me about stuff that you like, that you don't like? Can you talk to me about some language that we wouldn't, um, you know, that it would not be appropriate or switch you off. So I got clarity both from my own kind of mindset, but also I got clarity by getting feedback from my intended audience. Yeah, love that, love that. Um, and just one more question about the book. The, have you had it translated into Japanese? And the reason why I say that is that I was doing a quiz the other day and, uh, and it says, what's the national sport in Japan? And it said sumo wrestling. So have, have you had it translated into Japanese? Do you know it's been translated now to think about 13 or 14 different languages, but Japanese is not one of them. It, bizarrely, it's been translated, like, like well, I say bizarrely, but you don't kind of get, you know, I think has it been translated to German or French or Italian? Um, it's been translated into like Thai and, and Indonesian and, and Hindi. And, and um, I, one of my books, Moshe Rizuma, have been translated to Chinese, but at the moment, it's not been translated into Japanese. Oh, well, potential market there for you, Paul, the potential market. You never know. You never know. <laughs> What's the worst advice you've been given? Worst advice? Um, I suppose I remember someone once saying to me, whatever you do, Paul, don't call yourself a motivational speaker because the world is full of motivational speakers and we've had enough of them. And um, I thought, right, right, I must be careful of that. And interestingly enough, I met someone at an event 
and and they they came up to me and they went, I've really enjoyed today. Mind you, my friend said I would because she'd heard you and she said to me, you've got a chance to hear Paul McGee. That's brilliant. He's a great motivational speaker. And I realized that although the advice from so-called experts was don't call you that, that people still get a bit of an idea of what they mean and what you mean by the phrase motivational speaker. And sometimes you need to listen to your audience rather than the experts sometimes. I think the other, I once got another piece of advice, which is, which was really almost like anti-marketing. And it was a sense of, look, Paul, if you're good enough, they'll find you. You know, so if they want to book you in the future, they'll find you. And I'm thinking, well, they might do, but they might not. And, and if they're going to find me, the more I can raise my profile and make myself visible, the more like, easier I am likely to be to be found. And it's interesting, my, my wife works in the business and we might get an inquiry and, and she always has it on a tracker and on a calendar to follow up that inquiry. And I think if I'd have followed the advice I'd been given before was, hey, you, you made an inquiry, I've given you some information, but if you want to book me, it's up to you. I'm not going to hassle you or chase you up. What I've realized is sometimes people do need a bit of a prompt and a bit of a reminder that you're still there. So two pieces of advice I'm glad I now ignore. Don't call yourself a motivational speaker and don't worry too much about the marketing because if you're good enough, they'll find you. No, you've got to make yourself easy to find. Yeah, completely. And if somebody did want to find you, where would they find you? So I guess, so people listening to this, if they want to know more about you, um, if they want to read some of you, but where, where's the best place to find and engage with you and your content? I suppose um, the sumoguy.com, my website. I, I have a confession, which is that I, I don't use LinkedIn a great deal. One of my team manages it for me, but I guess you could find me and connect via LinkedIn. Um, so the sumoguy.com website, LinkedIn, although just be aware because of the business of all that I do, uh, I've got a team member who has a look at it, but it's not a big driver for us, but I know it's a very effective way of connecting. And then if people who are into their, their small other aspects of social media, you know, uh, Twitter at the sumo guy or Instagram at the sumo guy, and they tend to be the ways in which people connect. One other thing is just as a, as a kind of... Um, a support for people, particularly at this time. It was just signed off this week. I had a conversation with my publisher. You probably, I've been ill anyway, so I wasn't in a position to be particularly helpful to neighbours. But I've written some books. I've got some ideas. This was called How Not to Worry. And I remember thinking, boy, is that a book that people would, would really benefit from reading or even just a couple of the chapters? So my, my publisher has agreed that the book How Not to Worry um, is available free on Kindle at the moment. So I don't know how long that's going to last, but if anyone wants to go to Kindle um, you know, and, and on Amazon and, and access How Not to Worry, they get a book that, I don't know, I think it's sold at at least ten ninety nine. I don't know what the Amazon price is now for the paperback. But if you want to get it on Kindle... Um, and I think there's, uh, or Google Books, you can get it for free. And, um, you know, that that would just be give me a real thrill if people get it. And then it knows, do you know what? There was two or three things you said in that book that have really helped me at this time. So I'm not, you know, um, you know I'm not on the front line. I don't work in the NHS. 
Um, but maybe there is something that I've got to offer. And the fact that my publishers agreed to make that offer for free of charge. Um, so that's another way, not so much just to connect with me, but to access some of my information. Not the sumo book, but the book that we felt just most relevant, which was How Not to Worry. So How Not to Worry on Kindle is is free for, for a download. No, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Um, what does a, what does a sumo guy have for his tea? What do I have for my tea? Uh, do you know what? I love variety of food. So what we've got at the moment, we've got normally it's just me and my wife, but for various reasons, we've got my son and his wife, and we've got my daughter and her boyfriend. So we've got um, four 20-odd-year-olds plus myself and my wife in our 50s. We're all together as a family, and I would say out of those six people, four of them are really great cooks, um, I won't say who one of them is that isn't, but the, one of them is me. But yeah. um, <laughs> so a variety of different food from fajitas and uh, tacos and all kinds of, you know, grilled halloumi uh, or fried halloumi. I don't know what it is. I just get out of people's way because I'm thinking, you love cooking. I don't want to get in the way of you enjoying doing this. I'll just enjoy the fruit of what you've done. So... I like, I like a lot of things, and we are eating. We're pretty health conscious, so I'll enjoy my beer, and I'll definitely have a beer later on this evening. But in terms of food, we are trying to use fresh stuff and, and, and eat, eat well, but I love variety. I'm not a kind of like meat and two veg kind of man. I, I like that kind of variety of different things. Hey, very good. Very good. Quite a, quite a, full, a full answer, that, wasn't it? Um, when, <laughs> out, out of the four people, who's your fav- which one's your favourite cook? Do you know, just in case she listens, it's probably my wife. For the longevity of my marriage, I have yeah. to say, although it's probably true as well. Yeah, no, perfect, uh, perfect. Thanks so much for that, Paul. Much appreciated. Um, so, I guess yeah, just to, just to, just to reiterate, then, if people want your, um, what did you say the book was called again? So, if you want the book, how not to worry. Yeah. You can get it, download it, go to Amazon, download it, uh, free of charge. Although I don't know if that's, I can't say in any six months' time it'll be free. I think the publisher clearly is giving away some of their profits at the moment. Um, so how not to worry. And anything related to Paul McGee, you can just put Paul McGee, the sumo guy, in a search engine, and you'll find out lots about me and lots of stuff you can access for free. I've got a YouTube channel, um, and again, Paul McGee, and there's lots of like free videos you can access as well. So hopefully, um, there's lots of different ways people engage with me and my material that don't doesn't necessarily mean they have to invest financially, but hopefully what they get is helpful, and it might then lead to wanting to work together on a different level in the future. Yeah, no, fantastic, fantastic. And I just wanted to say thank you again for your uh, for your time today. It's been an absolute thank pleasure talk, talking to you. So to have the opportunity to talk to somebody who 15 years ago, I read the, the business book at the start of my career and, uh, and business journey to actually get the chance to, uh, to have, have a chat with you today. It's been an absolute pleasure so uh, and a privilege. Thank you. So, thank you. I've enjoyed so, it. Th- yeah, no, thank you. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And you too. And whatever you're at. I mean, tonight for food, I hope you enjoy yours as well. I presume the four-year-old and seven-year-old are cooking tea. So enjoy your alpha and 
spaghetti hoops. <laughs> it, it, it's like you live in this house, Paul. It's like you live here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, thanks, Cheers, thanks so much. Have fun. See you later. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the business problem solver, or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.